We're here to worship you and to praise you, um, but we're also here to hear you speak to us and to guide us in this world. And so we come to your word now, Lord, because we know we need you to speak to us. We need to hear what you have to say. Uh, We need to learn from you how to live. And so we pray that you would do that. You'd speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning through your word and that anything that would hinder us from hearing you would be pushed away fears, frustrations, anxieties, even grief, Lord, that you would um, push those back for a moment so that we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this morning we're looking at a very familiar passage of the announcement of Jesus' birth. And we're going to be looking at uh, one particular aspect of that announcement. Um, But let's look at the passage now. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. One of the things we... um, Well, when we look back at our own teenage years, we notice this own tendency in us. Um, And then we like to make fun of teenagers for it as well. It's one of the joys of being a parent of a teenager is just making fun of them regularly. But (laughs) they always appreciate it too. Um, But one of the things we make fun of teenagers for is that they live like they will never die. Right? They live like they'll never get sick or injured. Um, And so as a result, they do stupid things. And we've all been there too. And you've heard a number of stories about my own stupid things. Um, But as I thought about that this week, that is true about earthly kingdoms as well. Every earthly kingdom thinks it will last forever. They never think they will die, especially the really powerful kingdoms. They never think they're going to die, so they end up doing stupid things. They end up getting sick, and they end up dying. 
And so it's this funny reality that no earthly kingdom thinks it will ever die, but every earthly kingdom will die. And we just watch that happen throughout history. And, and one of my favorite portions of Scripture that talks about that is in the book of Daniel, right? We remember this dream by King Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream of a massive statue, and, and there's, it's made of all these different metals, right? The head is gold, the, the chest and arms are silver, the stomach and the thighs are bronze, the legs are iron, the feet are clay, and then the stone comes and hits the statue, and the statue crumbles into pieces. And, and when Daniel interprets the dream, he says that each different type of metal in that statue represents a different kingdom, right? We have Babylon, and we have the Persian kingdom, the, the Greek kingdom, and the Roman kingdom. And they were all these earthly, massive power. Like they were the world power at the time. They were the epitome of greatness. And yet every single one of them would come crashing down. And one point, it's not the main point of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but one of the main points is that that is not just true of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, or the Romans. It's actually true of every earthly kingdom. Every kingdom made by man will eventually fall. And we need to remember that, um, especially as we live in the United States, which is kind of a current world power right now. And, and we have liked to live as if we will never die, that our kingdom will go on forever. And yet, if somebody had a dream like Nebuchadnezzar today, um, one of those medals of the statue would represent the United States, which means that it will eventually crumble. It won't endure forever. The, the United States will eventually fall apart, just like every other kingdom that has ever fallen apart throughout history. And what happens is, is that that leaves this longing inside of us for something that is more firm, that's not going to fall apart. And, and that longing has been there throughout history. And, and you can read books of leaders throughout history saying, Aha, I finally figured it out. If you listen to me, I will build you a kingdom that will last forever. Just do it my way. And it won't. It never will because they're all built by men. They're all earthly kingdoms that will fade and everyone will still be left longing for something more. Longing for a kingdom that's going to last, something that's firm, and something that's eternal. And that's actually the main point of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Is because not the main point is not that all earthly kingdoms are going to come crashing down. The main point is that there is a kingdom that will last forever. The stone that hits the statue and causes it to crumble, it says the stone became a mountain and that mountain filled the earth and lasted forever. And here's what Daniel says about that rock or that mountain. He says, in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It will break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made this known to the king 
what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And so God gives them this message that all of these earthly kingdoms that you're so afraid of or even that you find comfort in, they will fall. But God is setting up a kingdom that will last forever. And it's a kingdom that will not only last forever, but it's a kingdom that will eventually break every other kingdom. And it will continue to grow until it fills the earth. And so we have this longing in us for a kingdom that lasts, a kingdom that's firm, and God says, I'm going to give you that kingdom, and it will last forever. And that's really where we need to put our hope, and that hope is part of the the Christmas story. Um, You know, when we typically celebrate Christmas, we talk a lot about this child born in a manger who came to save us from our sins, which is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't remember that. But we forget to celebrate that this child is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's core to his birth. I mean, look at, look at the announcement that comes to Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so this child that we're celebrating, this Savior is also a king. He came from the line of David. He will be given the throne of his father David. He'll rule over the house of Jacob. He'll rule over God's people. And his kingdom will never end. That this is the king that everyone's been longing for throughout history. This is the kingdom that we all are longing for deep in our hearts. A kingdom that will never crumble and will never fade. And even in this announcement, we can notice a couple aspects of what this kingdom looks like. And the first aspect is that the kingdom is humble. It's humble. Look at the announcement. It was in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And as I, as I studied that this week, I came across one commentator who pointed out how obscure all of this is in relation to what's happening at the time. Actually, right before we read of the announcement of Jesus' birth, we read about the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, right? The prophet who's going to pave the way for the Messiah. Well, how, did his birth, how was his birth announced? It was announced in Jerusalem, it's kind of the center of God's people. It was announced in the temple, which is in the center of the center of Jerusalem. And then it was announced in the Holy of Holies, which is the center of the temple. So it was at the center of everything that was happening that John the Baptist's birth is announced. And everyone knew something was happening, and everybody was talking about, why can't Zechariah speak, right? You know, and what's happening here? There's all this buzz about John's birth. But when the birth of Jesus is announced, this king of an everlasting kingdom, it was announced in some obscure town to the girlfriend of Joe Schmo. I mean, think about this being announced to a young virgin girl from Alto. Like some, I'm not going to call Alto a backwater town, but you know, just some kind of out of the way, everybody's nodding their head. No, I can't 
<laughs> make fun. But anyway, some kind of out-of-the-way, little-known town to somebody who doesn't know anything. Nobody knows anything about her. And there's the king of an eternal kingdom. And nobody knows it happens except for her and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah. Nobody talks about it. And even when he's born, it's not announced, it's not shouted from the hilltops around Jerusalem, it's not shouted from the temple, it's just presented to a bunch of farmers in the middle of the night. And so the kingdom has always been humble. It's never been flashy or glamorous, and it won't be until Jesus comes again. Really, the, the world is going to continue to look on this kingdom and say it's just weak and pathetic. There's nothing flashy about it. And it's been that way ever since Jesus' birth was announced. It's been that way since he was born. And it will continue to be that way until he comes again. And again, this is one of these truths that we just need to get deep down in our souls. Because we don't like the fact that the kingdom is humble. And that it's not flashy. Um, because we like flashy things. And so we try to decorate the kingdom up. We try to make it look flashy and glorious. And we decorate it with bells and whistles and, and gimmicks. Um, and we do that because we've forgotten something that's really important. We've forgotten that just because something looks obscure and humble doesn't mean that that thing is not powerful. And the kingdom of God always looks kind of obscure and humble but it's powerful. And we're told that the kingdom of God is the kingdom that will bring every other kingdom down. And it's the kingdom that will last forever, even though it looks humble, even though it's not flashy. So we don't need to decorate the kingdom. It actually works better when we don't decorate it and it stays humble. Um, Our calling is just to live in the kingdom. Proclaim it. But we also see that that the kingdom is a kingdom of salvation, which is why we talk about salvation a lot, right? So when when Jesus' birth is is announced, he says, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb, you'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. And, And Matthew gives us an explanation. Why is his name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so... At the core, this kingdom of God is is different than every other kingdom. At the core of the kingdom is salvation from sin. It's not salvation from all of our economic problems. It's not salvation from all of our societal problems. It's not salvation from other world powers. It's salvation from our sins. And so which is why it's right when we celebrate Christmas for us to celebrate the Savior of the world has come. But I want to encourage us to say, our Savior King has come. Because He's a King that brings salvation. And, and He's a King that brings salvation. And it's also, we're told that this, this kingdom is a kingdom of salvation. But it's a kingdom that is also spiritual. And so we read, uh, Mary says, how, <laughs> how is that going to work? I don't know, how am I going to have a baby? I, I'm only a virgin, right? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It says the Holy Spirit's going to be at work in in bringing about Jesus' birth. The Holy Spirit's going to be at work empowering Jesus for ministry. 
and the kingdom that he brings, the Holy Spirit will be at the part of at the heart of all of that. And even when we see the the kind of the birth of the church at Pentecost, who's at work there? The Holy Spirit is at work, giving birth to the church and giving birth to the kingdom. And so the kingdom of God's one of salvation, and it's a it's a spiritual kingdom, which is why Jesus says things like, My kingdom is not of this world. But I want to I want to make a clarification because those things are very true. It's a kingdom of salvation. It's a kingdom that's spiritual. But a lot of times I've seen those two truths uh, misunderstood and misused over the years. I've, I've heard people say, well, the kingdom of God's just about saving people from their sins and his kingdom's a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. So let the world go to hell in a handbasket. Doesn't matter. Because it's a spiritual kingdom, right? No, we just go out there. We're just All we need to do is save souls. That's all we need to do and then let everything else do whatever it wants to do. Um, But that's a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. Uh, Because Jesus actually told us to pray regularly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're supposed to pray that, like every day. Lord, bring your kingdom Bring your kingdom to earth. We want your kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. We want it here. So keep bringing your kingdom. And so even though the kingdom is about salvation, and even though the kingdom is a spiritual reality, it comes to to earth. Just like Christ came to earth. And so sometimes we have a hard time understanding how that works. And I don't have time to give a really long explanation, but I'll give you my short explanation. Um, And that requires you to remember what seems like ages ago when we started our series on biblical sexuality. (laughs) Okay, and one of the very first messages I talked about how we learned that we're created body and soul. And that those two realities are separate, but they're deeply connected, right? What happens to your soul affects your body. What happens to your body affects your soul. You can't separate those two things. And, and that is really important when we understand sexuality, when we get back to that series someday. But it, it, it's really important to understand as we think about the kingdom. And so if the kingdom is a spiritual reality, it's about salvation of sins, it's affecting our soul, what's going to happen to our bodies? They're going to be affected as well, right? And so the, the kingdom is saving us from our sins, it's forgiving our sins, it's renewing our spirit, but then it changes the way we act. We, we live differently, we, we talk differently, we work differently, we raise our families differently, we run our businesses differently, we spend our money differently. And all of a sudden the kingdom that's spiritual and about salvation works itself out of our souls and out of our hearts and on into our families and our communities and the world around us. And so the kingdom comes as we faithfully live out our Christian lives in the world, as we raise Christian families and as we work as Christian employees and as we shop as Christians and spend money as Christians, the kingdom of God slowly begins to move out. And here's why this is so important. It may kind of seem like some kind of weird idea out there, but but on the one hand, it, it reminds us, for one, that the kingdom of God is active in this world. And, and we're part of that kingdom, so we're called to be active in this world, right? We, we can't just say, 
let the world go to hell in a handbasket. We, we can't do that. That's not right for Christians. We are to be active in the world. We're to live the life God has called us to live. And we're supposed to pray regularly that God's kingdom would come and that that kingdom would end up destroying all other kingdoms as, as Daniel prophesied it would 3,000 years ago. And as his kingdom comes, guess what ends up happening? It changes societal problems. It changes economic problems. It does a lot of things. But you can also make the mistake and skip one important step. And I see this happen quite often. People say, okay, the kingdom of God affects this world. It, it helps economic problems. It helps societal problems. So we're just going to go out and we're going to fix economic and societal problems and bring the kingdom. And they forget that it's a kingdom of salvation. That it begins in the heart and soul. And the only way that true change is ever going to happen in the world is when people's hearts are changed from stone to flesh. When people's lives are filled, when people are forgiven of their sins and restored and renewed and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, then true change happens. It never comes through the law. It only comes through the gospel. But as people's hearts are changed, then society changes. Economic problems go away. Societal problems go away. And the kingdom of God comes into this world. And so we need to remember that the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily come through our own actions per se. It comes through the work of the gospel. The work of the gospel in our own hearts and changing the way we act in the world. But it also comes as we proclaim the gospel and it changes other people's hearts. And it begins to change the world as well. And so as we we celebrate the birth of Christ, our Savior King, we have our hope and our confidence there in that kingdom that is coming into the world and that will never fade. And I think we need to remember that because we're, I think we're all beginning to realize how frail all of our earthly kingdoms are right now, right? Uh, We watched COVID come spread across the globe and shake Every single earthly kingdom out there was shaken by COVID. And everybody's looking around, even at the United States, going, how much longer do we have? Who knows, right? We don't know. But all of these kingdoms are crumbling slowly. And we realize that. And and if you put your hope in these kingdoms, guess where your hope is going to be crumbling right along with them? But thank God he sent a king a Savior King into the world where we can put our hope. And that kingdom will never fade. This kingdom will not crumble because of a pandemic. And this kingdom will never crumble, and this kingdom will actually eventually overcome every other kingdom in the world. And so we we celebrate that, but we can't forget that it's still a a humble kingdom. It's going to overcome every other kingdom, but it's still humble. It, it's more like the tortoise than the hare, right? It's, it's, it's not flashy and quick, but it's this like slow, steady, plodding along. The kingdom comes very slowly, much more slowly than we would like it to come. But it comes, and it's powerful, and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And, and even the, one of the famous prophecies from Isaiah of the Messiah, he said, he said, that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's going to just keep plodding. It's going to keep coming. 
going to keep coming. Nothing's going to stop it from coming. And it will keep increasing, and there will be no end to that increase. And eventually it will overthrow every other kingdom. So what does that mean to us as we live in the world? Well, for one, it means let's stop trying to make the kingdom look flashy and glorious and just recognize that the tortoise wins the race. Slow and steady and not real cute and glorious, but it just keeps going and going and going. And so, so we, the kingdom comes that way, but also as we live out our lives in the kingdom, we work that way too. We just keep plodding along faithfully living the life God has called us to live. And we can have hope and confidence that God uses that humble work to bring his kingdom a little bit more each day, a little bit more each day. And so we we put our hope and our confidence in that, and then we get up every day. We go raise our families in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We go to work, and we work as if we're working unto the Lord and not unto man. We go out and we spend our money in the community as we're spending our money, the money that God gave us, not the money that we've earned. And we live and we talk and we interact with people in the community as Christians. And as we do that, the kingdom comes slowly and steadily until one day we get to hear this amazing proclamation that we hear in Revelation that the kingdom of the world has become. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come thankful that you've established your kingdom. We come thankful for the king that you sent us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he addresses the deeper issue deep down in our heart first before addressing the broader issues. We thank you for the salvation that he's brought to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that he sent to empower us to live in this world. And Father, we come to you, we confess that too often we rely on our own strength. Too often we, we don't trust the humble nature of the kingdom. We try to make it look flashy and glorious because we don't actually trust how powerful it is. And so, Father, we confess that. We ask that you would forgive us for that, but that you would drive that truth deep into our hearts, that your kingdom is humble, but that your kingdom continues to come slowly and steadily. And so, Father, fill us anew with your spirit. Empower us to go out and raise our families and go to school and do our jobs and live in the communities in a way that brings glory and honor to you and in a way that sees your kingdom slowly coming more and more into the world, Lord. Help us not to give up or to lose heart, but to just keep simply faithfully plodding along, living the life you've called us to live. Give us hope and confidence in this, Lord. And we do pray that through our work and through the gospel and the work of your spirit, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when we can say that the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom, have become your kingdom, and that you will reign forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.